Hey, this is Steve Balton. You are here for the first My Turning Point of 2021. So welcome to My Turning Point. Welcome to a new year and welcome to a really freaking fun interview with Corey Taylor, frontman for Slipknot, Stone Sour, solo artist, all around great dude. This was a really fascinating conversation on his sobriety, on a number of topics. Corey has always really opened up a great interview. Hope you enjoy this one as much as we did. Thanks. Some people have done too. So what's what's yours? You know, or what are what are two of yours? I mean, I've got a. I mean, there's a handful. You know, like it's it's weird. Like like most, I, I feel like most people have more than one. Kind of like Duff. Like for me, I remember the first time I was like I felt like I was good at something was music when I was about ten years old, and my cousin Lisa shoved me out in the living room and made me sing journeys separate ways for all of my aunts and uncles and my grandmother, like cold. I mean, like put the album on, drop the needle and it was like, go. And I was like, Oh, you know, all because I was singing along to the album. Like it was a very intense, like weird, like on the spot moment, but I did it, you know, like I stared down at the floor and sang it note for note. And of course I was 10, so I could hit those notes, but, uh, it was, you know, that was like one of the big like moments for me. Then music was kind of in and out of my life. Uh, like, like the, like while I was growing up, obviously I was, I, I struggled with addiction. I struggled with like a lot of uh, issues when I was, you know, for my home life and stuff. Uh, and depression was up and down. So I was, I was about 19. The last, the, the last time that I had tried to commit, what I call teenage suicide, which was, um, you know, obviously it was over, a, it was a relationship. I was kind of dogged and I ended up swallowing a bunch of pills and my girlfriend's mom actually came over to my house to check on me and found me and took me to the hospital. Uh, they pumped my stomach. My grandma came and picked me up cause I was living with her. And I remember laying on the couch sick from the Ipecac and like all, all the, and then the, the liquid charcoal that they give you to settle your stomach down. And the, uh, the VMAs was on and it was the, uh, it was the VMAs that, that Faith No More was on when they did Epic and they just destroyed everything. Right. Uh-huh. And that, that moment really kind of, I don't want to say it like changed me, but it, it reaffirmed what I was meant to do because suddenly, because for a while it felt like music really only had a couple of directions for me, you know, like, like as far as like what I was listening to, it, it just seemed like there wasn't a, another way. And that performance showed me that you could do anything if you were, you know, playing music and whatnot. And I mean, we were still a couple of years out from the alternative revolution. So it was like this whole, it was like this really kind of, like pivotal moment for me where I went, Oh, I want to do that. You know, just watching Patton just absolutely fuck with the entire audience and, and not caring, you know, like it was so perfect to me that that re reestablished my love for what I wanted to do. You know, I love the way though, that you refer to it as teenage suicide, because, you know, like, again, there is that thing when you're younger and everything yeah. feels so 10 times more intense. Yeah. Oh, it's so, dude, it's so real, you know? And then 
for someone who has dealt with depression his whole life, you know, like it's almost in a way it was almost like a training ground for me. Cause I, I've been able to kind of, kind of get my emotions in order that because, because of gone, going through that, you know, and I can feel when a depression's coming on now and, you know, I've developed ways to kind of cope, you know, you develop these coping mechanisms, but a lot of people don't. A lot of people develop either horrible coping mechanisms, which is, you know, booze or chemicals and all that stuff or, or lashing out, or they just don't at all. And they, and they devolve basically. So for me, I learned so much from being a teenager. It's probably one of the reasons why I can kind of tap into that when I'm writing is I've learned so much that it was able for, I was able to really kind of press on and, and deal with that when I was, when I was uh, in my twenties, my insane twenties. You know, I mean, what's so interesting about that, there, there's so many levels to go in with that. And I mean, dude, there's a lot of directions to go in before we come onto the album, but right. you know, it's interesting because I just got done last week. I did a piece with Vicki Cornell for Chris's album. You right, know, right, right. and, and, you know, I knew Chris for many years. I went on the road with Lincoln park and did a book with them. So Chester was a close friend. I mean, yeah, for same. you, when you look at, you know, I mean, you know, so when you look at everything that's happened and where you are, do you have a different appreciation for being where you are right now? Because as you said, I mean, and, and, you know, like you said, Chester was a close friend. Chester was friends with everyone in music. He was one of the best fucking dudes yeah. in the world. Yeah, exactly. You know? Chris was, I mean, I don't know if you knew him well, but I mean, I had met him, I had, I had met him a couple of times. Unfortunately, we kind of ran in different circles. Um, but I mean, there was definitely a, a mutual respect there. I was such a massive fan of not only his songwriting, but his lyrics, dude, were so fucking good that it didn't hit me until he left how much impact his songwriting had on me, you know, his turn of phrase, the fact that he would venture into so many different musical territories without any fear, just didn't care. He would just go, you know, just trying to find that song, just find that right melody, you know? So it's, it's, there's a handful of people I really wish I could have met like in this, you know, in this lifetime. And he was definitely one of them. But it's interesting taking it back to you then and the stuff that you've dealt with and all you've gone for. Do you then have a different appreciation for being in this place where you can deal with it? And Because, again, these are great people who, unfortunately, it's funny. For me, yeah. my favorite artist of all time is Springsteen. I'm a huge Springsteen fan, right? Never interviewed wow. him. But I love the autobiography. And in it, he talks about he talks about his depression, I think, better than anyone I've ever seen, where he talks about being in that abyss. And when you're in that abyss, there's just... All it is is just wanting to get out of that moment. And you can't think beyond getting yeah. out of that moment. Yeah. So for you, how much do you appreciate right now being in a place where, you know, and, and not just being in the place where you can get out of it, but also, you know, does it make you appreciate music more and everything that you're able to do? That's a good question. Um, I guess for me, the biggest, the biggest weapon I had was realizing that this was something that I had to cope with, you know, like to me, that was the best piece of armor that I could, that I could have was under like, cause I, I feel like most people try to either minimalize it or they deny that it's there. And then that kind of retroactively kind of 
like comes to the surface in like this weird subliminal way, you know, like it comes out in their actions or comes out in the, the things that they allow themselves to kind of get into. I feel like when you, when you embrace it, you just make it a part of who you are, you know? And that to me has made it, it's normalized it for me, you know? So when I feel, and I've, and I, I talk about this with my wife all the time. I was like, look, when this, when it comes on, I can totally feel when it comes on. So if I start to, in a weird way, deflate emotionally, it's because I'm, I'm in it. Like I'm feeling it. It's like, I'll let you know when it's coming on. But that kind of dialogue is so healthy to have, you know, and you have to have that. You have to be able to talk about it at length. You have to be able to kind of break it down and analyze it. And, but you can't dwell on it. You know what I'm saying? Like when you dwell on it, you, you start to romanticize it and then it becomes something that's out of your hands, you know? And then, then it, then people just try to identify you with what that is, you know, and that you can't get away from it. So for me, I have embraced it, but I've embraced it in almost a practical way where it's like, this isn't who I am. This is just something that I deal with. You know, it's like, it's like being 47. It's just like, that's just, that's not who I am. I don't run around going, I'm the old guy. You know, I just, (laughs) I'm fucking 47, man. You know, it's just, it's a part of the story. And I think when you do that, it's, it's less about your history and it's more about the narrative. You know, it just kind of like, that's just, it just kind of goes without saying, he's like, Oh yeah. Okay. He, he does deals with depression. So when he's writing something, kind of comes from this point, you know, I've also, and I don't want to say this in a, I don't want to say this and, and make it feel like other people never had a chance to get out of gnarly situations, but I've also been very fortunate to have gotten out of some seriously toxic situations, you know, with my, with my head and my heart intact, you know, there's been some damage obviously, but I've, gotten out and in a way come out a little stronger for it um, and realize that in a lot of ways, it was my own choices that put me in those toxic issues, you know, those toxic situations, because there was something in me that I was looking for that I wasn't, you know, like filling in. So it's it's self-awareness sometimes that will save you. It's self-awareness that will pull you away from the fire or pull you away from the, 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 the dragon's jaws and, and kind of keep you, keep you focused on just trying to be better, you know, but that's what? just from my standpoint, like I, I don't want to put that on anybody else. That's just from my standpoint and how I've been able to kind of keep going with it. Well, I mean, that's so interesting though, because I think a lot of that comes from experience and with age and getting more comfortable with yourself. So at what point did you start to realize you know, and, and let's, we'll tie this in obviously with the music too. And for you talk about, you know, a getting more comfortable with yourself so you can realize right. the stuff, but B also as an artist, having yeah. that release of being able to make music that allowed you to, you know, cause I look, I mean, you know, one of the, I think the best thing about writing is that it's subconscious right. and it allows you to deal with all these things that you didn't even know you were thinking about. So for you, as you've dealt with all this stuff, talk about the importance of music and having the songwriting and everything there to have that outlet. Oh, it's definitely been my saving grace. You know, like it's, it's in a way it's been the only thing that's, that's really helped me 
be able to get a handle on things, you know, cause I've been, I've done therapy. I've done many therapists. Um, I never wanted medication because I didn't want to water down who I was. I know it works for certain people. It just never worked for me, you know? Plus I have that added hell of that addictive gene that always has scared the hell out of me, you know? Like there's a reason I haven't touched anything in, you know, 10 years. It's it's just bad news, bad news brown. Um but the the writing has really helped me comprehend stuff. You know, I mean, it's one thing to understand it, but it's another thing to comprehend it as well. It's, it's one of those things where you can almost get ahead of an issue because you've seen it before, you know? So for me, working it out in my lyrics, not only working out in my lyrics, but also working out in so many different types of lyrics, man, whether it's, you know, going down, the angsty road, going down a, a more self-effacing road, going down roads that have more to do with like a concept, you know, like I did with the, the House of Golden Bones albums, where I was able to kind of take my issues and put it on somebody else and then deconstruct it, you know, from a character point of view. That has allowed me to really wrap my head around so many of my, I don't want to say flaws, but just the things that make me me and understand why I do it, you know? Um, yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think if I was a writer, I'd be where I am, to be honest. I, I think I would be, I'd probably be dead. I mean, just for just how many times I almost died when I was younger, you know? Yeah. Well, now it's interesting as well, tying this into CMFT you know, are there things on this that emerged that things that surprised you or things that came about in the writing that you were just like, okay, I didn't know that I was thinking that or that start to come out. And, you know, when, by the way, was this album done? Was I always ask this question now, because obviously we live in two states of, of you know, being at this point. There's right. pre-COVID, post-COVID. Right, right. You know, and, and I mean, writing during the pandemic has obviously changed for people immensely. Right. I, um, I mean, a lot of these songs go way back. You know, some of these songs are as old as 20 years old. Some of these songs are as brand new as I wrote them in March. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm in a constant state of writing. Um, I'm always writing, but I'm always kind of writing stuff that I then have to kind of sit back and go, okay, where the hell does this go? You know, like, is this a Slipknot song? Is this this or is this that? This is the stuff that was naturally left over from... Uh, uh, you know, a bunch of writing sessions that I had done over the years, uh, going back to when I was a, a teenager and just songs that had never found a home anywhere else, you know? But the cool thing was, is that there was this underlying spirit that kind of tied them all together. You know, there's like, you know, for the most part, this album is such a positive spin. It's something that's so much more positive than I'm that I've ever put out there. You know, like I've never really done anything this light before, you know? And I don't mean that from a musical standpoint. I mean that from just a, a psychological standpoint, you know, you've got songs like Samantha's gone, which is like this satirical song about being this, the old sober rock dude. And he's kind of sitting around going, all right, well shit, what's next, you know? And then you've got songs like, uh, I mean, obviously CMFT, which is kind of taking the piss out of the whole Corey Taylor persona. And 
you just songs like that that are just like so much fun. And, you know, it's, it's me basically kind of going out there and saying, look, songs don't have to be so fucking serious all the time. Songs don't have to be an absolute bum out. They don't have to be a, a dissertation on why we should all just be fucking brooding in a corner somewhere. It's, it can be fun, dumb rock and roll, but smart at the same time, you know, like it's for me, that was kind of the whole reason that I really put this together. However, there are songs like Silverfish, which are about dealing with depression, especially at night when there's nothing to kind of keep your attention, you know, and those, and those, those fucking thoughts get in and you have to deal with them. You have to deal with those thoughts just so you can go to sleep, you know, there's stuff like that. There's stuff like, um, obviously there's songs about, uh, the, you know, the way I feel about my wife, which is like uh, black guys blue and home. It's, it's just exploring different territory other than the darker, uh, you know, more disturbing shit that I do with like Slipknot, you know, but at the same time, I think that's, that's one of the reasons why I can go down those roads with Slipknot is because I am able to write so many different types of ways that I can really focus in a certain way with Slipknot. And I can also swing around to the CMFT stuff and, and write in the, almost this joyous way, you know? I mean, that's so interesting for you when you think about who are those artists that you really admire who are able mm-hmm. to mix, the, who have that balance and who are able to do that and who, you know, because it, it, like you say too, and I think it's also something as you get old, one, I think it's something as you get older, two, it's also something that in this year has been much more important is that sense of just fun, dude. It's right. like everything's been so heavy you know, right. and even before the poli- even before the pandemic, everything was so heavy with fucking politics, and it's just exhausting, and it's just, yeah. you know. So, so the for Trump, you, the Trump arrangement, yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. It's funny. I was just posting that and so like, as soon as inauguration's done, I never want to hear that name again. I'm so fatigued from it. Right? Like, never. <laughs> I, I just like, I, I post like, dude, if you say it to me, I'm gonna come. I'm gonna fucking haunt you from beyond the grave. Like, <laughs> it's just no. Dead to so so you know obviously at this point music plays played such a big role so who for you when you think back on it are those artists that did that best job of making it fun but also can mix it up and again I always go back to someone like John Lennon and you look at you know how right. like you know you look at a song like Instant Karma which he made so palatable but it's basically like dude you're fucked <laughs> you know because you're yeah. an asshole okay. you know yeah that's a good question man I mean that there's so many. You know, it's it's weird uh, when you talk about those two kind of uh, juxtapositions, basically almost like polar opposite sides. The stuff that comes to mind is like Van Halen, Prince, uh, Motley. Motley Crue was great about it uh, because while they were throwing like this massive party, there was this underlying issue of addiction and depression and darkness, you know. Um, you know, it's... Well, I mean, if you look at like uh, Henry Rollins' Black Flag stuff, you know, where there was a lot of satire, but there was also that darkness of him dealing with that, that intelligent anger, you know? He was one of the first dudes that I really could identify with because he was so smart and yet he had so much anger in his heart that he just, he had to write and he had to get it out because he didn't know what to do with it, you know? So it's... uh it's interesting like to to hear a song like TV Party 
And then a song like fucking Black Coffee, where you're, which I've done a million times, where you're just sitting there just drinking coffee and just like fucking losing your mind, you know? So I, I think those, and then like a handful of like the punk bands that I used to listen to when I was younger, like The Damned, um, uh, The Pistols, definitely. I mean, there was just so much anger, and yet there was just such a fuck you kind of vibe, you know? So. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, it's funny when you go back and then you hear and, you know, I want to come back to something you said, too, because when you were talking, it's interesting. Two things when you were talking about Chris. Right. And then you were talking about Mike Patton. What's interesting is both of them. You talked about their ability to move around, you know, and that's one of the things that always fascinates me is, look, right. You are doing stuff with Slipknot. I don't know even if you're still doing Stone Sour stuff, you know. Then there's the solo stuff. And this is always interesting to me. So at what point do you, like, how do you, how do you sort of figure out what goes where? You know, as a songwriter, what fits yeah. in which place? That, I mean, it's usually pretty instinctive, you know, um, especially when it's me writing it. I, I know just from the way the music's going, if it's a Slipknot thing or if it's a Stone Sour thing. And even if it's a, a solo thing, you know, I mean, um, but when it's, uh, you know, obviously when the guys write the music and they give it to me for me to write lyrics to, it's, it's, you know, very, very obvious. But with me, it always comes down to the vibe behind it. Like I always take people back to when I was writing Snuff, which to me was always going to be a Slipknot song. I've, I've had fans debate this with me for fucking hours where it's like, <laughs> no, it's just stone tower. And I'm like, uh, no dickhead. I'm the one who wrote it. Just my entire white ass, you know? So that song was always going to be a Slipknot song for me. And if Slipknot didn't record it, I wasn't going to take it to stone sour because I wrote it specifically for Slipknot. Like it was, it was a song that I knew with those guys would have a certain darkness and a certain power. And it was just something we had never done before. You know what I'm saying? So that was the one, you know, that was the one that when I wrote it, I've had so many people come like, like tell me how wrong I am. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm the one who wrote the goddamn thing, you know? But, you know, but then there's a a million songs that I've written for Stone Sour that I would, you know, that would never go that way with Slipknot, you know? Like, I couldn't do Through Glass with Slipknot. I couldn't do Bother with Slipknot. It's just a certain vibe that has to be one or the other. And for me, it's always been very obvious. (laughs) That's so funny. Are there artists that you look to as well? I mean, people or even friends that you have that have done... You mentioned Henry, but I, I think about someone like Grohl, who's a friend and, you know, how he's right. able to do like Foo Fighters or them Crooked Vultures. Or even when you go back to, I mean, you know, I grew up a huge Zeppelin fan and dude, yeah. I, don't, I mean, I don't know that anybody has ever done a better job of shifting around musically than Robert Plant. Right. No, no, yeah. you're absolutely right, dude. I mean, the people forget, and this is something that I love to point out, the people forget that it wasn't always so groundbreaking for artists to do different things, you know, like, 
Like every Van Halen <laughs> album didn't sound the same. Every Zeppelin album didn't sound the same. Like every song that they wrote didn't sound the same. They branched out. Like they explored inside of their musical worlds and they even expanded their boundaries. And then it just became so, so genre specific for people that when you go out of your way to do something different, it becomes like this thing. Oh, how brave were you to go and do it? I'm like, what are you fucking talking about? Like, this is what bands have done for ages. You know, it's only because of corporate boxes that people started rewriting the same goddamn song over and over and over again, because that was the only way that they could make it palatable and sellable. You know, like it was ridiculous. So for me, I'm just continuing the tradition in a way of, okay, well, I'm in this, I mean, these genres, that's fine, but I'm going to explore inside these genres. I'm going to do anything I want and I'm going to call it this because this is what history has told us, you know? Well, I mean, that's so funny to me because I guess, you know, as you can tell, obviously I'm a huge music geek. So being a huge music geek, I, I come up right. with guys like, you know, I think of guys like Bowie and Neil Young and it's like, Dude, oh, I mean, dude, it was like, you, gotta tell you know, me about Bowie. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, I got the other day that you will have to check out. I haven't played it yet because I'm afraid to open it, but there's actually a David Bowie Monopoly. What? It's uh, so uh, uh, I'm going to check that out. It's so I'll fucking cool. I'll buy two just so I can open one. <laughs> that's exactly what I did. Yeah. yeah. I, I bought one. That's not opened yet. Hold on, dude. I'm actually going to get up just to show you. Cause you're going to, I mean, oh, yeah, I, I saw the packaging on this. And I was just like, holy shit. Oh, dude. Yeah. Okay, that, that's fucking rad. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, so, but again, you think of those guys and it's like their whole career was based on the idea of, or Tom Waits, who I'm a huge fan of, or like you wow. mentioned, or you mentioned, you look at someone like fucking Joni Mitchell. In fact, I, right. I would argue you cannot be a great artist without moving out of, you know, without exploring and moving different realms. True. You know, I mean, it's, it's like saying, it's like calling someone a great chef. If all they do is make cookies, you know, like, it's like, that's, that's it. Like that's, that's all you got. Like you have to expand your palate just to, to see how far you can go. You know, maybe that's one of the things that one of the reasons why I've, I've been, so exploratory. I don't want to call it brave because that's horseshit. I just, I love music. I just love doing what I do. For me, it's been about the challenge. Like, can I do something like this? Well, can I do something like that? Well, you know, and they're all expressions of the music that I love, you know, in one weird filtered way or another, you know, anything I write is a reflection of something that I grew up listening to and saved me. You know, so in a way, I'm just reflecting back some of the moments that gave me happiness, you know, you know, in a weird way. So I, I guess I'm just I'm just constantly trying to, you know, I haven't really run into a genre that I've been bad at yet. Let's put it that way, you know which is fine. I mean, I'm sure I'll find it, you know, someday, you know, I've, I've been threatening to do a jazz album for years because I love dark brooding jazz, you know? Um, and I, and I've got some, some older ballads that 
I know would really lend itself in that genre, but I just, I just haven't had the time yet, you know? So, I mean, there's definitely things on my horizon that I want to do that are even beyond what I've already done. All right. Well, that's cool. So when you think of, like you say, everything that you do is an expression of the music that saved you. So what's right. the jazz music that saved you? What's the jazz stuff that when you were a kid or that, you know, whatever age you were that, you know, you got into that had right. an impact on you? Probably, obviously a lot of older, like Billie Holiday, like her, her uh, junkie ballads were fucking ridiculous. You know, like this, the yearning that would come out in her voice would just choke you up. Um, a lot of like, oh, probably a lot of the, like the older Charlie Parker stuff, like Lover Man. Lover Man by Charlie Parker, the original recording, is probably one of the saddest songs I've ever heard in my life. You know, it's so dark because he's so lost, man. He's so lost in it. Like, you can feel it. You can feel how lost he is. And this is a dude who died the body of a 60-year-old when he was in his 30s, you know? Yeah. He had done so much fucking damage to himself. And yet, even with these piles of fucking chemicals and, 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 you know, psychoses sitting on top of him. He was able to kind of like through the din, come up with these insane phrasing, you know, just this insane, like, and that song just kind of ends. Like there's really no, there's no definitive ending to that song because he, it's almost like he just kind of falls off the fucking chair. It's stuff like that where it's so palpable that you can feel it, you know, like it's that thick sadness that you can almost throw around yourself like a shawl that if I was going to do an album, that's the kind of stuff that I would do. Almost like that, that brooding, I don't want to call it like if Nick Cave did a jazz album, it's something like that. You know what I'm saying? Where you go down this road and you tell a story that maybe you didn't want to tell. And at the end of it, you look back at the audience and go, I don't know if that helped, but it helped me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly. So it's interesting then when you go back to, you know, because I don't want to just focus on other stuff. I mean, obviously when you look at CMFT, is there right. stuff on there that, that, I mean, what would you say that's, when you look at, you know, how that reflects the music that helped you, what influences and what things that helped you do you hear in this album? Oh, dude. I mean, obviously Van Halen. Um, there's some like punk songwriter stuff like Buzzcocks and The Clash. Uh, 80s, uh, 80s New York hip hop. Um, ja I mean, obviously it's, there's some jazzy stuff like um, uh, uh, The Maria Fire is a perfect example of me kind of dicking around with some with some, uh, some jazz phrasing, but then kind of tying it back into almost like this chanty kind of chorus, you know, like this the kind of pump your fist chorus. Um, but then, like, like I said, singer-songwriter stuff, like really kind of, you know, you mentioned Dylan. Dylan's a perfect example of somebody telling stories, and it's almost like the guitar playing was it was like it, it just kind of there, you know, it was more about the words he was saying than the chords he was playing, 
You know, it was almost like, it's like, look, just like, don't pay attention to this. This is what it's about. But I think that was one of the reasons why it was so perfect, you know, especially, especially on blood on the, uh, blood on the tracks, which is probably my favorite Dylan album besides blonde on blonde, but there's so much beauty and stuff like that, where you're telling different stories and you can tell there's like, uh, a, a sad undertone, but at the same time, it's just fucking rad songs, you know? So that's in my top five albums of all time. It's a great fucking album, dude. Like <laughs> Tangled Up in Blue is such a fucking fantastic. Like to me, that's his second best song after, uh, um, oh, fuck. Never mind. Like, that, that's, yeah, that's like, to me, that's my favorite song of his. Yeah. I mean, but that whole album is so perfect, but it's funny. Like, I, I mean, I love Tangled Up in Blue, but if you see her say hello to me, it's like, I don't think you could write a better song than that. Right, right. I think dude. it's just, it's such like a, and it's funny what you say about the sadness. And it's like, I think what I love about that record so much too, is just the vulnerability of it. You know? Right. I mean, again, it's like, here's this guy, I was talking about this with someone the other day, right? Here's this guy who, when he was in his 20s, wrote, you know, a song like Don't Think Twice, It's All Right, with like the nastiest line of all time, which is basically, you just right. wasted my precious time. And then yeah. <laughs> you come on to a song like this where he's like, well, maybe I'm too sensitive or else I'm getting soft. But every time I hear her name, you know, it gets to me. And it's like, yeah. I love that progression. I love that honesty. So let's take it into your music then. And it's funny because again, I think that, you know, Tom Petty was another guy who really did that early on in his career. And Petty, who was a huge Dylan fan and they were right. friends. Petty, you look at early stuff and it's like, you got lucky when I met you. And then he went right. on and wrote a song like, you know, I wish you the best of everything wherever you are. Right. And there's something to be said for having that vulnerability and opening up. So for you, do you see that in your songs as you progress? And, and again, it's also something that very simply as you get older as a guy, you have to be more comfortable as a guy to do that. Because when you're a kid, it's just like, what the fuck you mean you're leaving me, bitch? Like, you, you know, right. Right. <laughs> and then you get older and you're just like, oh, wait, I was an asshole. Right. I'd say maybe it's, I guess it's retrospect, you know, like you, you, you know, everybody's things always look better in your rear view, obviously. And when you're a kid, when you're younger, I almost say kid, I'd like I go with my twenties when you're younger, the pain hurts so much more. It's almost like more personal, you know, things that happen to you. Whereas the older you get, you can, compartmentalize it a little more you can be like okay whatever it, it's you know it's just like <laughs> oh, i've been through fucking worse than you i'm gonna be fine you know um I mean, it's a good that's a good question man i mean for me i feel like and this is a weird juxtaposition i feel like my lyrics have gotten better probably because i can process the pain better whereas before it was a lot more screaming in the dark, you know, it was a lot more like, even though I was able to kind of paint a picture and be poetic and, and lyrical, there was so, it was so much more um, visceral, you know, the pain, like the, it's especially my delivery. But now that I'm older, I I'm able to kind of work my way through my message a little better, you know, like really get behind what I want to say. Instead of just kind of exploding, I, I light the fuse and then explode at the end, you know, like, and maybe that's, 
you know, the, a calmness that comes with maturity, but also being able to, I'll, it's, it's the difference between a rocket launcher and a gun with a silencer. You know what I'm saying? Like they both do the damage, but I've been able to pinpoint the damage now that I'm older, you know? It makes sense. And again, you look at it from a musical perspective, and we'll wrap up in a couple minutes because I don't want to take up your whole day. But uh, obviously, you know, <laughs> you and I can geek out on this stuff all day. But right. you, you look <laughs> at an album like Plastic Ono Band, and it's like when you're a kid, right? Like, I fucking love Iron Maiden. I grew up on Iron Maiden. I love Iron right. Maiden, right? I grew up on Sabbath. I love that stuff. As great as that stuff still is, nothing they ever do will be as hard or as punk as this John Lennon song like God or Working Class Hero. <laughs> You know, right. and it's like right. that was delivered in in that acoustic, but it had that impact in it. So it's like you get older, and you realize like sometimes the quieter, you know, where you deliver your message. Right. You know, so do you feel like in a way a little bit that's sort of what you're talking where you get old, or like even when you go to writers like Raymond Carver is one of my favorite writers, right? That dude oh, was yes, able okay. to deliver. I mean, in just a couple of cent and a couple of pages, he could right. like just rip your heart out. Yeah, right. so there's something to be said for sparseness, and I definitely think that's something as you get older, you get more comfortable with, you know, minimalizing and not trying to show off all the time. Right, exactly. You know, it's, and there's something to be said, and this is, this might be me coming off as my bougiest. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's something to be said about assuming the intelligence of your listener. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. For me, when I was younger, I would pre like I wouldn't presuppose anything. I'm just like I'm just gonna beat you over the fucking head with what I'm talking about, you know. Now I'm like, you either get it or you don't. Like I'm not going to take you by the hand and walk you there. Like I'm going to assume that you're intelligent enough to put two and two together. And if you don't, that's your fucking loss. Go read a book, figure it out. I'm like, I'm not going to do that for you. You know, like, so may, that's me also being a bit of a snob as well. But at the same time, it's like, you can't want people to be smart enough to figure out what you're trying to say. And I think being overt with it too much can drag out the impact, you know, like, like, you know, walking people to the, the natural solution is probably the worst way to fucking do something sometimes because so many songs mean so many different things to so many different people. And I'm, you know, I've, I've reached the point where it's like, it's, it's, it's okay for you to, to have a different assumption of what the song means from what I originally started with. Cause that's the beauty of music, you know? Cool. I mean, we've covered a lot of stuff. Is there anything that you want to talk about that we did not talk about? Ah, no, man. Then we fucking ran the gamut. I mean, really. I mean, <laughs> we we did some. Uh, it's good, man. Um, I guess the only thing I would tell younger people is, I, I don't know. May I don't know. This might be me being a dick, but don't be afraid to look backwards, to look forwards. You know, I, to me, I feel like this generation props up mediocre artists who have shades of music that came before them and they try to hoist them up as like their version of 
A, B, or C, you know, like their generation's this, their generation's that. And it's fucking weak sauce, dude. It's like, if that's, you want to hear the real shit, go back and listen to it and then do your thing and put it forward. But don't, you know, don't, you know, don't, don't put a sock on a string and tell people it's a flag. Don't take a fucking shitty band and hold them up and go, this is the new blah, 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 because they're so fucking not, you know, but, but that's just me. I'm a dick. No, but it's fine. That goes into, you know, I mean, it's, it's talking about perspective, right? Like, look, right. I mean, I, I look at, for example, I'm based in LA, right? So I look at when Kobe Bryant died, right? Awful right. tragedy. No question. I mean, it was a terrible, awful, you know, thing. Yeah. I mean, it was absolutely horrible. No question. But within 10 minutes, people are like, replace Jerry West and make him the logo on the NBA. It's like, dude, it, that's not the obvious solution. And it's not, it right. doesn't mean that you need to denigrate, you know, it doesn't need that you need to erase Jerry West's history because he was a right. great fucking player. And I mean, look at what he's done over the years. too. And it's like, but that's the thing is like, there's no perspective. Everybody is so quick to make that decision in 10 yeah. seconds. No one actually fucking thinks about, you know, and because we have no attention span left at all. We have no respect for history. Well, because I don't even think it's that we don't, it's because we don't know what it is anymore. (laughs) True. But that's maybe it's because, and this could be, it could be because we've been forced certain histories over our lifetimes that maybe haven't represented the people who are listening in the first place. You know, I mean, the only, the, the people who control history are the ones telling the story, not the ones who are writing it. You know, so I don't know. It it seems like histories can only be impactful if they're inclusive, you know, and I, I get what they were trying to do, but you're right. It was, you know, it's, it's disrespectful to try and just change something like that when it doesn't necessarily need to be changed. You know? Well, it's not even a matter of disrespectful. It's just kind of like, you know, why, why does that have to be the only solution? It's like, again, there's, right. but again, it's more like the fact that it was all happening within 10 minutes. And it's like, you know, figure, like, think about what it is that you want to do first right. versus simply like make the snap decision. And it's like, okay, automatically. Right. You know, exactly. yeah, there's no, there's no, I did. I'm going to, I'm going to sneak in one more thing though. Cause I'm just curious because it's like, I've been asking everybody this in 2020 because it's so funny. Like I was talking about it with uh, Lindsay Sterling recently. And it's like, she's like, Oh, you know, everybody is just like, one of the things is like, you actually have time to do stuff now that you never had time to do before, which mm-hmm. is like, for example, watch TV and watch movies. So what have you been watching in 2020? Oh Christ. Um, I finally caught up on the Mandalorian, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is dope. Uh, I've actually been, it's weird. Like I haven't been catching up on anything. I've been like watching stuff with my kids. And watching them watch things that I grew up with, which is weird, you know, like my son who's 18 was like, uh, I'd never seen Rocky Horror. So we sat down and watched Rocky Horror, which was something I used to go to when I was young, man. Like I went every weekend for the midnight shows and tried to explain to him what that kind of fucking chaos was. And it's like, just trying to explain baseball to somebody like you just, you have to watch it to see it. It was kind of like that. Um, but then just, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, going through and, and showing them weird, like, like B movies, like Beastmaster and, and <laughs> like all this weird <laughs> shit. 
<laughs> so it's like it's almost like I've been punishing my family with like the movies that I grew up with loving, you know. But but they've they've been into it, man. You know. Plus, I was watching stuff with the with the six year old. You know, she's like a, a massive nightmare uh, nightmare on nightmare before Christmas fan. Nightmare on Elm Street. What the fuck? But uh, yeah, I was gonna say uh, for six man, that's kind of hardcore. That's that's just throwing them to the lions right out of the gate, right? No, uh, <laughs> nightmare before Christmas. So we're like. We're learning the songs together and singing that shit. So is there one show that you can go back and watch again and again and again? Several. It's probably my wife's biggest pet peeve with me is that I can watch certain shit over and over and over again. Um, Like I can watch Endgame every day. I'm that fucking weirdo. Like, I don't know. And I cry the last 15 minutes of that movie every fucking time. Like it doesn't, it doesn't even matter. Um, I can watch uh, God everything from the the first two seasons of Frisky Dingo to I can go back and watch all of the Star Wars, all the Star Treks. You know what I did for my birthday? I made everybody go out, like I made everybody go away for two hours, and I just watched Wrath of Khan by myself. Like that's all <laughs> I wanted. I'm such a fucking dick. I was like, you know what I want for my birthday? Everybody fuck off for about two hours. Just let me fucking, let me watch the moment, you know? Let me watch Maltobon and fucking Shatner go at it. <laughs> nice. All right, cool, dude. I'll let you jump. Uh, this was a blast as always. I think the last time we saw each other, you were, was at uh, the Beat Studio, but you were doing that uh, show. I don't know if you're still doing it or not. No, no, I, I, uh, I let that go a while ago, man. Uh, it was just, it was, I was, I was going through divorce at the time and it was becoming a, a too much of a hassle to try and fucking like, the, you know, kind of get in and out and, and record it. And it, it just, I was just like, you know what? I'm just running out of shit to say. So I just <laughs> almost stopped. Um, yeah, I was just like, fuck it. I'd, I'd rather do something like current in the moment than like pre-record something and try to come up with it. It was just a lot of work. So yeah, I quit doing it. Cool. Yeah. No, but that was the last time we saw each other, which was fun. It was at, uh, yeah, I, it's been a couple of years, but yeah. Right on, man. Cool. Well, thanks so much for the time, dude. I appreciate it. A blast as always. All right. Um, let me know. Uh, yeah, just let us know when this is coming out or whatever, and we'll fucking, we'll blast it on the socials. Nice. Yeah. I'll be first, uh, probably first week of January. I'm going to do iced tea next week and then okay. take a week off for the holidays, give my producer engineer a break and you know, first All week right. of January. Sounds good, dude. Cool. Thanks, man. Have a good one. All Thanks. Right, take care. Later, buddy. Hey, this is Steve Balton and you have been here on my turning point with Corey Taylor. Thanks. No one knows Finding the perfect designer isn't easy. But at Upwork, we found her. She's in Austin between a dog named Klaus and her favorite shade of green. It's actually Salem Clover. And you can find her right now on Upwork.com. When the world is your workforce, finding the perfect project manager, designer, developer, or whomever you may need tends to fall right into place. Find top-rated talent who can start today on Upwork.com. 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.